0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: welcome to the runners world podcast with me rick pearson me ben hobson
1: and me jane mcguire
2: today we're looking at eight of the biggest running myths we're going to try and uh, try and bust them for you right here on the podcast it's what we do just, we do. just
1: the team's back together. We're here to bust myths. Just myth busting,
3: <laughs> absolute mythbusters. The bunch of us need to get that on our Twitter p- profile, don't we? Myth running yeah. mythbuster. Oh, I mean, we've done one podcast on it, so I mean, I'm not sure. if no, you, you don't want to trickle- kind of
2: overstate our sort of our, credentials our power. in this area. Yeah, yeah. A bit,
3: I, feel, I feel like if we go down this road, then we kind of like you drift into the territory of like that guy who just tracks down every single person that's ever cheated in a race. Oh yeah, and like yeah, public, publicly shames them. Um, you get into that sphere of running, but no, we're going down the other route, which is trying to help people who perhaps have been told one thing and exactly. it's not
2: true. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Try and sort of clear up a few things. I'll start, and then we can go through um, individually what these are. But number one is the idea that heel striking is for the slow and unskilled, and I think that's something that's come out of probably Born to Run, and there's been a bit of a legacy of oh you oh your heel strike. Oh, I'm sorry, you know. I so, yeah. Sorry to hear that.
3: I um, also think that that's part of like shoe technology. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some blame onto the period of life when pronation was considered the devil's work. Yes. And that sort of stuff. So there's you know it's twofold there.
2: Yeah, I think that, I think that's true. It's um, and yeah, there was there was a, a little study that kind of proved this wrong. It was a 2018 World Champ, so full of elite runners to um marathon runners in the men's and women's marathon and in the men's they found that 67% of uh, the men landed on the heels 21% on the forefoot uh, on the midfoot sorry and only um three percent on uh, uh their forefoot um and pretty similar in with the women's race as well so kind of like we're talking about elite runners here um ma- the majority of them heel strike and only about three or two percent in either race actually forefoot strike so it's not necessarily something that is an elite quality Maybe it's actually the opposite.
3: Yeah, I mean, this because it, it, I think that heel striking has always been placed in sort of this almost cartoonish element of like yes, yeah, yeah. You're, you're driving your leg, a straight mm. rigid leg into the ground as hard as you possibly can with with your heel first and, and it immediately shatter every single bone in your body. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I mean, the reality is that a heel strike is that if it's that, that even if it's the lightest of touches and it's just your heel first which is part of the gait cycle then all, that's, that's efficient and also where you land your foot lands in relation to your center of mass and all these sorts of things come into it so anyway heel striking yeah it's um it's very much part of a an elite gait cycle and you know it's it's and because it's um if you land pr- predominantly on the f- especially off you um you know, your forefoot your calves do a hell of a lot of work so you know there's a, there's a lot to be said for the for the heel touching down at the least heel,
2: the heel touch, maybe we should be calling it heel touch rather than heel to- yeah. Yeah, yeah, strike so, yeah the
3: strike yeah- strike's got a, a lot of, a lot of power to it, has isn't it yeah, um, and it sounds destructive, doesn't it whereas <laughs> a, a kind of like a <laughs> missile strike, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 I think it's controversial, but i I don't think people should worry too much about stuff like this Do you know no, what I mean I, like when 100%. when you start running, and I think we've probably written this, so sorry to andy and everyone i'm gonna slag off at the magazine (laughs) but we always say oh go and get your gait checked does it really matter
3: oh that's what you mean unless you've got
1: like a mental gait or you're like running in a really bizarre way that's going to injure your body chances are you're probably not going to be running very far because you'd get injured so if you've been running for like 30 years why are you worrying about your heel
0: yeah Yeah, why are you worrying about
1: whether you pronate a little bit just run is that I bad? Think that, Is that bad advice? No, no, no. But you kind
3: of, but you answered. I think you kind of caveated your own reasoning. But you said that if you've been running for a long time and you're going okay, then there's not need to worry. I think that's yeah. true. If you're brand new to running, there's nothing worth. There's nothing wrong with having your gait analysed because someone might pick up that actually you you might need to just you know. I mean you might if need I a special play, shoe. If I started playing tennis tomorrow and just went out and started trying to, you know. Do tennis as well as I possibly could. I would go and get lessons. So I kind True. of like you know, uh, it, you know, running lessons. Yeah, that's a kind fair of, point. Kind of do exist. You go to a you know track and train with people, and they'll teach you how to sort of like train and run. And I think that running efficiently is part of a running lesson. So I would kind of like meet you in the middle and say yeah. that. Yeah,
2: I think running is a skill, isn't yeah, it? I think the one thing I say, if anyone's new to running, I do think there's something to be said for getting out there and running rather than like things like uh gait cycles and stuff which can be really useful in the long run but they are they are one more thing you've got to do before you start running do you know what I mean whereas actually mm. if you're a bit like you've got a pair of shoes why don't you go out there and see how you feel and then look look maybe we can go and talk about the, the gait cycle and, and into the specifics of stuff slightly later down the road
1: yeah but it's also like i can't remember his name he won He's won everything. He's super fast. This is a really boring point because I can't remember his name. But he dramatically over-pronates, Oh, like, this is really this is dramatically. like, is like
2: Cheptege, isn't it? The, the yes. Ugandan, yeah. And it's yeah. it's
1: awful. Like, his ankle has literally collapsed. And it's like, well, he's one of those records. So, do you know I mean? Yeah. But if, yeah. he, if he went to he needs bloody stability runners shoe. Need, wouldn't he? They'd put him in a stability <laughs> shoe. And imagine what that would do to him, yeah. poor guy. It'd slow him right down. So yeah. it's a bit of me. It's like, don't stress. Stress less. But then... If you're a beginner, do stress.
2: So, fantastic <laughs> advice. I'm hoping are <laughs> bringing this kind of clarity to all the points for people. I think they. Yeah, <laughs>
1: this kind of confusing <laughs>
3: argument. I've not everyone, really thought through. Everyone being <laughs> slightly in the middle, unsure. No, so heel striking is for the slow and unskilled. We can absolutely bust, bust no, that man. One, one, myth busted right there. Great, 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 great. Moving great. on.
1: Thank you. Next.
3: Thank you. Next. Uh, all right. <laughs> myth, myth, myth number two. Static stretching before a run is bad. Uh, new research suggests that both static and dynamic stretching pre-run can decrease perception of effort and increase performance compared with no stretching at all. Um, both static and dynamic stretching were uh, investigated in the study, published in the Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Great journal. The researchers wanted to find out what effect these had on running economy and perceived exertion in recreational runners.
2: Yeah, I think like dynamic stretching... like. It doesn't get the same bad press as static stretching does it before a run and you see most people doing there's sort of like leg kicks and all that kind of stuff and in fairness in the study like dynamic stretching was shown to work as well So I think if you're at all dubious about it uh, between the two of them dynamic stretching would be the one to stick with but it's interesting that actually static stretching which you know a lot of people I think you would running coaches or people involved with running would be like oh don't don't be don't be static stretching before you run that you're you're going to like make things worse actually perhaps that isn't that isn't actually really true so
1: I think it's personal too isn't it like we've all heard me bang on about my sciatic nerve enough haven't we to (laughs) never hear about that again but like I know that if that's really bad which it is every now and again I have to kind of do stuff before I run but if it's not bad I'll just get up walk the dog and then go for a run and my one of the top 10 least favorite things in the world about running is that when you go to a race and they make you do that warm up, like literally, <laughs> like a crowd-driven, drop musical... me out. I have to go and stand on the side because it makes me want to be sick. So, like that, you don't know I mean It's like I don't think there's a right or wrong. And like if you do that kind of pre-race warm up before every run, I have so much respect for you. But that's bonkers. Like, do you know what I mean? There's not. I don't think it's
3: I, a. It's a time thing. I, dy- I do a dynamic little stretchy routine before I head out. But it's it it it's minutes of just like thinking about the muscles that i'm going to be using yeah i can and make- imagine
1: you doing that ben though that's very you isn't it it's because it's,
3: it's old jane it's just age no it's because you're like very <laughs> i like, like you'll
1: think about what muscles you're going to use
3: well the thing i think about the muscles that i'll you. try and use is probably I feel like rick's
1: thing. just padding around his house barefoot 24 7 so he's <laughs> already warmed up <laughs> oh, right, that's
2: <laughs> true but I, I got into this um I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, but there's the the Ethiopian warm up, which is, is oh, really Rick's big. He's had Classic. me doing this. He's, had, he's like, had me doing this. They're a group, and they're always in a, they're in a line, and they and they 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 are kind of copying each other all in a line. There's, there's like maybe ten or fifteen runners uh, doing a variety of incredible dynamic stretches, and it looks absolutely amazing. Um, so I'll put a link to that because that's if you're going to warm up, that's that's the way to do it in style. It was sure.
3: good. We did it in the basement at work. We Actually, me and Rick did a bit of it, bit, <laughs> yeah. did, did a bit of this. That's cute, and it was can that uh, be
1: on the can that be in the can we film that next little, time? A little video,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah surrounded by <laughs> all the bikes, <laughs> the lockers, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: So, that, um, yeah, that that that's my sort of definitely that's my sort of warm up. I like a, I like a sort of move if I'm sweating a little bit before I start running, that's that's, that's good. That's, that's yeah. the kind of warm up I like. I agree, yeah,
1: right, Jane, here's with thing, yeah. Runners should lift light weights and do lots of reps. This is controversial. I already know. I already know this is a controversial <laughs> one. Um, the science says that runners should actually lift heavy and go for somewhere between six and ten reps, and even just doing this once a week has been shown to build to build enough kind of strength and then maintain it i've I mean, I've gone through it, all, haven't i? I've, I've been a, I, I don't love the gym, so I feel like this is one where I immediately want to unsubscribe from that science. But I do like the idea of doing like, 10 squats with a heavy weight once a week, and that'd be enough. But I feel like I've, I've twisted that fact to make it work for me. And that's not what the science probably says. But I kind I don't know, I think there are two schools of thoughts, aren't there? There's the people that, I don't know, do CrossFit and then run a Three hour marathon, and that's amazing for them. Mm. And then there are runners who hate the gym, and maybe somewhere in the middle is the, the best kind of person. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think it gets into that kind of argument between like what's best practice and, and is best practice actually something that's practical for people? So is lifting heavy weights really heavy, like six 10 reps, actually is pretty heavy, and you, you need some fairly heavy weights at home or in the gym uh, mm. to do it. He's prescribing that to people actually helpful or we'd be better off saying any strength training is better than none yeah and you and yes maybe lifting heavy is ideal and, but yeah you
1: know maybe this is one for the joy plan do what makes you happy yeah. <laughs> if you if you love going to the gym go to the gym enjoy it but if you're like me and you avoid the gym like the plague then just do some pilates or do something that is kind of strengthening muscles so you're not just running i guess
0: that's the the, the myth thing here isn't it you should do something other than just run all the time
3: Runners should lift heavy, I think, and lower reps, because simply you know, it, it, the adaptations that that brings to muscles is is different to running and like cardio and light weights with loads of reps is kind of just like endurance stuff where you need to to do the heavier stuff because that is what helps muscles you know grow get stronger i mean make it interesting and dynamic and suited to running like you don't just you're not just talking going to the gym and just trying to you know bench press something insane because it's not it's not really like important but i do think that like things like deadlifts um certain squat variations like split squats and stuff basically things that sort of mimic running but under like greater duress is where the muscles get a whole different type of workout and that's what aids like stability um strength power all that sort of stuff rather than basically kind of replicating muscles under duress from running but in a gym scenario that's i think
2: science would definitely definitely back that up ben yeah it's yes I guess it's, it's just about you know does does telling people to lift heavy how many people do you lose at that point when you say that but that but that's progressive isn't it like heavy heavy, heavy, yeah heavy is heavy can be
3: whatever it is like no one's if you start off six to ten reps and five kilos is all you can do and like physically which could be, be the case for someone then that's heavy and you just get stronger, and you build, and you add add more and more weight. There's obviously a start point to this. No one's going to rock up to the gym and start doing hundred kilo whatevers. <laughs> like,
2: all right, no, the cable toss.
3: The, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I better get in here and just like my body weight, just immediately smash that out. But um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I think it's I think, I think that's a good one to to sort of just put to one side.
2: All right, um, number four. Uh, the idea that eighty twenty doesn't work on lower mileage. Obviously, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Tom Craggs. I mean, just literally, just link in, link in description, just, just, just link into <laughs> it. Um, yeah. But th- this study which showed that uh, yeah, club runners who are running ten uh, k under forty minutes, are uh, just under forty minutes, and they uh, one group followed eighty an twenty, and the other followed a fifty fifty ratio. So fifty fifty being like half easy, half hard running. Mm. Um, on 30 miles a week which obviously isn't like super low mileage but possibly is low mileage for like sort of club running types yeah Um, and it found that yeah after 10 weeks the 80-20 groups time improved by five percent uh and while the 50-50 group improved by only 3.6 so it still works at low and maybe it still works even at lower mileage than that so um it's it's one that isn't just for the elites and i think that's Often, what people worry about is that, well, you know, unless I'm running sixty miles a week, does it really work? And actually, it does.
3: Where we go? I mean, more. I think this is just us now appearing like we have an agenda to to push the eighty <laughs> push the eighty twenty method. Are we
2: sponsored by eighty yeah. twenty, yeah,
3: yeah. If there was a brand exclusively called eighty <laughs> twenty, welcome to the eighty twenty podcast. Uh, but no, it's you know, it does seem like a very logical way of training in my head like make sure that quality is there and the rest of the time just work on that base like it's just otherwise you're just i don't know maybe i'm just talking to someone who has limited amount of energetic resource and so. i guess for someone who didn't
1: for someone who didn't listen to the Tom Craggs one <laughs> 20 would be 30 miles a week you'd do 6 miles at a really kind of tough pace and the exactly. rest of the miles that week would be chilled Exactly. That's what yeah. About, yeah. So it? it's
2: like that kind of. It's very similar to sort of polarized training. So like, yeah, eighty percent really easy, twenty percent really quite hard, and nothing or very little in the mid in the mid zone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a uh, and it's, it's looked at as being a very sustainable way of training as well because I think very slow running is less likely to get you injured or knackered than that kind of steady state or even like tempo running that is quite yeah can be quite hard work on the body.
3: Yeah. All right. Okay, Uh, the much-celebrated negative split is the best way to run every distance, every race. Negative split is the best way to do it. Uh, Negative split is obviously, for anyone who knows, if you take whatever distance it is and divide it by half, you run the second half faster than the first half, which is harder. (laughs) Which is harder. (laughs) Um, There's another pacing strategy that may lead to a better result, and it's called the Controlled Fade. Um this doesn't mean setting off at a ridiculous pace and then hang on for dear life, but uh, but expecting some tail off in the second half. It might be a tactic worth trying at your next park run, just sort of you know set off knowing that it's going to be hard and then just adjust for a little drop off in pace towards the end. One study found that completing the first mile, 1.62 kilometers of a 5k race between three to six percent faster than the average race pace yielded the best results, right? So there's there's something. And then when when it comes to the marathon, um there are obviously more severe consequences for not setting off at race pace. Um Oh wait. When it comes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um another study found that running the first five K segment ten uh, percent faster than race pace adds about thirty-seven minutes to the average finish time, while starting ten percent slower adds about twenty-nine minutes. And most PBs came from running the first five k at goal race pace.
2: It's quite—it's quite a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Like, like I mean, the, I, yeah. I was—I re- mean, I was reading that, and <laughs> uh, because that's quite a lot to. Uh, <laughs> Quite but the, a lot. The, the 5k one is interesting though because this negative split thing it gets held up doesn't it as like the holy grail and it's like that's what everyone should be doing. I think that with a negative split unless you are like um, an elite runner or you absolutely nail it like you say that there's a chance that actually what you've done is run slightly, um, slightly slower than you could have done in overall mm-hmm. in the first half because yeah. it, actually mo- I reckon most people run their best marathon time or certainly 5k time. When, when they when they probably go through halfway just a little bit quicker and then they hang on because in some ways then that's that's a very honest way to run because you're, you're, you then can't quite get the pace you're trying to do so you mm-hmm. kind of know that you've given it everything within reason whereas with a negative split maybe you just went off a little too slowly in the first half and allowed that negative split to happen but it wasn't actually your best performance as a result yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What do you think Jane?
1: I mean... Guys, I don't want to brag. I've run two negative split marathons, oh, so well. we all know what Rick thinks. I mean, we all know <laughs> what you think of that, Rick. Thanks for you know shitting on my performance. Maybe, there. maybe you know. Uh, no, it. I don't know. Do you know what I'm on? I'm. I think because I, I've always had a problem. Well, I've had a problem where I go off too quick, and I think a lot of runners probably do. And if you, I think for me. Obviously, I'm not an elite runner or even a club runner or any, any sort of quick runner at all, am I? But for me, it was just a way of controlling that in the first half and controlling that and then thinking, right, now I can pick it up. But I do think if we're talking fast running, I completely get... I also wonder if it's like... Um, not to be sexist, but I know that men are probably better going out too quick and then holding on, whereas I... I I don't know if men are good at slowing down. I think there's a lot of ego, isn't there? Yes. You have, to, to. You yeah, have yeah. to let people go. And that's the worst part of trying to... With the negative split thing, I remember Lewis saying to me before... Lewis, who was my coach at the time, saying, you've just got to let people go and trust that you'll overtake them in the second half. You will really feel like you're almost holding yourself back. And it's a lot of ego there. But then equally, who knows? Maybe I'll do another marathon and just bomb off the line and see what happens to compare. But I think my problem was I would bomb off the line run way too quick and then not be able to hold on and end up walking bits and mentally giving up and just having a horrible time so I guess there's there's a place for it
3: I think that that's I think that the the, the controlled fade the hardest bit of that is the mental bit the feeling because because as you say Jane when you're talking about the controlled negative split you kind of it, it gives you a semblance of like um you know how you're going to go at the beginning and then you know when to turn up, you know, and you've got this managed effort. Whereas a controlled fade sounds slightly more liable to sort of just... Destructing. Destructing, yeah. And like that <laughs> yeah. feeling of... It's, there's nothing worse than feeling, getting towards the end of a race and feeling like the performance is dropping, which is normal, yeah. but you kind of, you know what I mean? like It's, it's quite demoralising when you get that sort of... I suppose if you work around a strategy based on a controlled fade, then your efforts will be different and you you get familiar with what feels like okay an okay decrease versus a sort yeah. of oh plummet. A, a plummet. Yeah, exactly. A drop off a cliff sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I think there is a slight sort of like a mental challenge of getting over or a psychological challenge to get over the idea of going slower and it the pace dropping off a bit, but that being okay and you'll still get there in the end.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting that it, that it seems to be a tactic that works probably best over 5K, maybe 10K, whereas the marathon stuff around, trying to get that first five kilometers Roughly around your kind of average race pace goal.
3: That's hard as well because the race is always so busy at the start. Mm -hmm. Like then you see the stress of that. Like I've got I don't. Anyway, I like it though. You know, it's I think that the the negative split is definitely not the best for everyone.
2: Yeah, it's good to think of like there's there's different lots of ways to skin a cat kind of thing, isn't there? Like 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 a positive split gets like it's a bit like a heel strike. Like gets a lot of a lot of bad press, whereas. Maybe there's versions of this where actually it's it's not the worst tactic.
3: Also, there's got to be some there's got to be numbers out there of people who who positive split versus negative split, and I would say that positive split is the overwhelming majority.
2: Yeah, Def, uh, Yeah, I agree. I think most most people's marathon PBs will be a, will be a, a small positive split, maybe yeah. sort of two or three minutes. Uh, yeah, certainly amateur runners anyway.
3: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: This is the Runners World podcast.
2: um right who's next is it uh Jane it's talking about it's me <laughs> right next one.
1: <laughs> here we go Compede Compede is the best way to treat a blister I mean I don't like talking about feet so I'm, I'm really gutted I've got this one um but we included a long article if you do like talking and reading about long, feet there's yeah. a long if article long, if you're really the,
3: into feet yeah
1: if you're really into feet you do you hun. and there's a long article <laughs> on the history of the blister which <laughs> sounds fascinating and the He's writer good. spoke with two people who help out at mile 55 of the western states 100 and they are foot care experts john von hoff and Tonya olsen big respect for you both um their weapon of choice is tape ideally a woven product like k tape and they avoid compete and i've I, do you know what I have heard this before because I think you the compede from my very basic knowledge of just using them is put on top of the blister and it's designed to stay there until the blister or the skin underneath is healed and not be painful but obviously that's great if you're just like flip-flopping around in a Birkenstock but if you're putting pressure on that being inside a shoe I've always thought that a compede is then rubbing almost rubbing the skin more so I can, I can get on board with this and I have i have used tape before and i think it works better but then i don't know i i, I think I, you're right jane
2: i remember talking with um is it mark formbury who is yeah a great yes. ultra runner nice bloke um and he was good enough to help me out when when i did um ultra and one of the first things he said was oh what you can do about blisters and i was like oh, i've got some compete and he's like no no he, he advised tape, which is basically the same like very similar to, to k-tape right um, mm. and, and i used it after about 15 miles and it was brilliant it was it yeah. absolutely just sorted it out and it was like yeah i would i would and it's so inexpensive as well we're not talking about a sort of a huge investment here. it's like about seven quid to go and buy some luca tape and it lasts for about well i only bought one roll and it was about five years ago so it's like it's worth experimenting with i think i also think doing? it's
1: worth because i had blisters i remember having blisters really badly in first marathon and just it was just vile absolutely vile and i just think i was probably running in the wrong shoes and the wrong socks but i think if you are getting blisters like not not if you're not an ultra marathon runner because you're insane and you don't care about your feet if you're a beginner and you're getting loads and loads of blisters probably look at why because it's not normal is it to be plagued with blisters for months and months and months on end no, so no, no. you should probably you have a that, look do you think
2: that your feet got tougher though i, mean, I do think that so that
1: that's true maybe
3: i uh, touch wood have absolutely never been uh, blisters have never been a problem only like testing right. random shoes that don't fit my feet properly that's the only time
2: one thing that comes up is that there are some surprising things that, like, so if you're dehydrated, you're much more likely to get a blister. So you can do oh, certain okay. things like staying hydrated can make you less blister prone. Is it uh, is it me or is it Ben? It's, it's you, me. mate. Go ahead. Super shoes only make a difference if you're super quick, um, and it's, it's probably quite easy to think that, isn't it? Because they were made for the sub marathon. Um But there's some research that suggests actually the bigger gains are if you're um, if you're not as quick because well p- partly I think. It's, I'm not very good at maths, and there's a little bit more maths to this than this. But essentially, if you're getting a four percent improvement on a four-hour time, that's obviously more minutes than if you're if you're going to run two and a mm. half hours. So, mm. And and it still seems to hold. So it's not like people like like amateur runners who are running four hours, five hours are still getting that kind of improvement. Um, and it maybe feels a bit counterintuitive because you'd imagine like like the kind of gate cycle that these were created for was extremely different to for, for you know if you're running really quickly or you're running uh, you know more towards the back of the pack mm. but it it's it makes the shoes much more applicable for people doesn't it because it could seem like oh look these are these are like oh, these only work if you're running five minute miles but it doesn't seem to be the case do you, do you disagree Ben
3: uh I mean it's hard to disagree I guess it's always tricky to know the sample in Boulder Colorado Boulder uh, everyone loves running over there so it's kind of I don't know uh, I d- yeah I don't know if it's kind of perhaps i i I just don't want to quite buy into all the marketing around those shoes basically because um they are obviously phenomenal and they do a lot of stuff but it adds a whole world of like issues for me in terms of like cost of running i don't know i i I just find it hard to sort of uh also really believe that the four percent performance difference that the shoes are sort of given can be across the board for everyone I just don't I just don't think that that's going to be the case. So I can kind of like see where the science comes from and take like obviously they're going to improve a, a lot of people's running and they'll make a huge difference to those who are chasing PBs and uh you know if they train super hard then why not have that extra element that might well be the thing that seals the deal for them. I just find it hard to sort of like quantify that um every single shoe with that carbon plate in it, that carbon plate behaves in the same way for every single person. And, you know, I'm a bigger guy. So the amount of compression that I put through the foam and through the shoe is the same as someone who's 20 kilos lighter than me. And da-da-da-da-da and all these things. Like I just, I... I, um...
1: I can see both sides here. I can see that. And I think if you're a run walker or you're a complete beginner, spending £300 on a running coach would be such a better thing to do than spending £300 on a pair of shoes. I 100% agree with that. But I also think there's a psychological thing about putting these super shoes on. Like, I think just having... And that's why I always say to people, like, buy buy a kit that you really feel great in and wear that for a marathon. Sure, you might have a comfier pair of shorts, but if you feel great... that will come that will affect how you perform won't it so I think if you're going out there and you're buying these vapor flies or you're buying these shoes and you think god these look cool and the the guys at the front of the race are wearing these there is something in that but I think I agree I, I don't know I do think like I think people have messaged me saying I'm doing my first marathon I'm going for you know sub five do I have to buy those? Cause I feel like I feel like it's a thing now that everyone has to buy a, a racing shoe. And it's like, no, like we were all we were all running before these shoes existed. People were running really fast before these shoes existed and I don't think it's something you have to do. They're not a necessity. Yeah. No, and actually if you do have that cash, spend it on like five <laughs> sessions with a running coach and you'd probably get so much more out of that, wouldn't you, than a pair of shoes.
2: Definitely. Definitely.
1: I've probably benefited so much more training with a coach it's made me such a better runner than buying mm. a pair of shoes like the shoes haven't made the difference in the time the coaching has for sure yeah. but that's a personal a personal opinion i think i think mean, it's
2: a good, really good point yeah i think it's a really good point mm. um yeah uh well we've got one more haven't we That's oh, no, controversial this is
3: controversial i'm gonna just immediately
2: I'm, I'm, I'm gonna back this one up i'm i'm sure i'm right yeah,
3: yeah. This, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that I'm not explaining first and foremost that this is Rick's one. <laughs>
1: this is Rick. This is Rick. And Rick alone came up with this. No,
3: no, 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 no. Right. Running your best ultra is necess- uh Wait, hold on, Rick. Have you. Is not necessarily harder than running your best 5K? Oh, no, um,
2: I've said that the the, the, the wrong yeah. belief is that running your best ultra is necessarily harder okay. than running your best so, 5K. Yeah.
3: Okay, so so the myth that needs busting is that running your best ultra is necessarily harder than running your best 5K. So, yes. just to explain that, running... Rick Rick has put this Rick in there. Believes. So, so, Rick believes. <laughs> Rick Pearson of this podcast yeah. believes yeah. that yeah. running a hard running your best 5k your fastest your hardest 5k is harder than running an ultra
2: not so, your not best ultra not, not necessarily harder but not necessarily easier um right and i think there's also a belief that when and that i think is even more true is that people think that that going further is harder and it isn't and people who say oh my mates run a fifty mile. He, he's twice as fit as you because you've only run a marathon. This this belief exists. And it well, exists. I mean,
3: first of all, that person's maths is, is atrocious.
2: But uh, but I know what you yeah, mean. But you I know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, your greatest achievement is I must be the furthest that you've run. And we're still obsessed with distance, and we really undervalue or underestimate how hard it is to, to run your best race for 5k's 10k's halves even stuff like a mile it's extremely difficult it's extremely so, painful so it's be myth, more painful than running an ultra for sure so
3: maybe the myth should be that ultra runners yeah going further running,
1: isn't
2: harder yeah yeah ultra running is the hardest type of running uh yeah i think that's that's a, that's very related isn't it um okay. yeah. it, it can ultra running can be some of the easiest type of running if I get you that. if yeah. you're if you're kind of um taking photographs sitting down a lot enjoying it maybe running with someone who's not um not as good you know not as good as you are um I've had I've done an ultra marathon like that and it it was certainly nowhere near as hard as the best 10k that I've run um and that's not I'm not saying that to be obscure or to be sort of like uh provocative or anything I think that's that's just what was it you said
1: what was it you said when I logged on the other week you said is 200 miles a new 100 miles is that (laughs) is that related to this point (laughs) Because I feel no. like you have weird, you have weird ideas about ultras, and I just want to clarify that on the podcast.
2: <laughs> no, that's 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 a different that's a different idea that I'm putting forward. That two hundred is, is a new is a new hundred. Uh, okay, so in we're that d- it's a sort of like far end of ex- extreme stuff that's 100's happening. Hundreds too easy these days. So that's right. That's what okay, he said. Yeah. just just 200. to just yeah, to yeah. share that
1: but with do, the
3: listeners.
2: Do you do, do you agree <laughs> that to an extent that we that we that we, that we overestimate? the difficulty that distance brings, yeah, and we, and we, we underestimate so. what in, what intensity i means. do because i think um, i
1: could go out and run i reckon i could go and run 30 miles on saturday and do 10 miles stop have a lunch have a break eat some food yeah, walk a bit walk a bit chat with some people run another 10 miles stop have a big break run a five miles. stop walk five miles technically yes i've run an ultra but have I, have I actually run an ultra? Do you know what I mean? I feel like there's ultra gets like tricky. It's got a tricky thing well, with it. I mean, isn't it? That, that,
2: you've just, you've described like a very common tactic to ultra running. And that'd be, that'd be the tactic that I use, which was like, yeah, I'll run walk strategy. That's kind yeah. of what yeah. almost everyone does. And, there's, and that's just um, the best way to get to the finish. But what, what that means is, yes, there can be accumulation of pain, but there's possibly not the, there's not the intensity of pain that you're going to get in shorter distances um mm. it's not to say that it's necessarily easier but I don't think it means it's necessarily harder either and I think to yeah I think we yeah so, someone someone you might think oh, I've only run I've only run a 5k I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as someone who's run a half marathon but it sort of depends what that 5k looked like for you and what that person's half marathon looked like for them it's not um yeah it's not as simple as just um like the distance alone doesn't tell you how hard something is
3: yeah, no, I agree. I mean, God, I'm not you a huge. you've us,
1: Rick. Look at this. Me and Ben were like, "No, nope, you're wrong," and now we're all on the same page. No no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I,
3: I think that, I think that, I think that we're we're talking about a different myth. I think the way that the phrasing of the original was a bit contentious, but I think what we're talking about is we've all agreed. F, like, we've all agreed. Uh, it's yeah. I know you mean Ben. Yeah. Um, I would agree that that the perceived exertion is is very different for these different things and there's like time on feet and there's like a the waves of um psychological like doubt and whatever that come from distant stuff when you're kind of like i'm gonna stop now and i give up and this is too hard there's not really enough time in those other races for that it's all just sort of like it's kind of more just you're just basically on the edge of like aerobic capacity and that's horrible like that's a horrible feeling and that's why those races are just so kind of like cutthroat because you're kind of just like All right, i've got to hold on now for as much as long as you know for this for this set amount of time and then it stops you know then that then that i know that that bit of suffering's gonna stop whereas ultras kind of it ebbs and flows doesn't it like you're kind of like there's a hard bit and then an easier bit and then a harder bit and then there's but then you're in your head for so long because you're just endlessly going oh my god this is hard isn't it oh I've got got another 40 miles to go so I guess it's 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 whatever 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 bit of running you find harder like because I think I could sit in I can sit in my own head and suffer for a fair old time but I think that the um, the shorter, I would say the shorter stuff is harder f- sometimes because if you're going flat out and you really are, I don't know. Oh, actually, I don't know. I've already, I'm convincing myself. I'm going around in circles and convincing myself on on both arguments as I speak. Um, but, yeah. But, no, I agree. So I, I, I 100% agree that perhaps, I, no, not perhaps, I 100% agree that the distance stuff is given
2: more credit than it should be, in terms of in terms of hardness. It's funny that because you, you, I know like one of the arguments against it would be like, look, you only say you, say you're running your best five k, and say that for you means it's twenty five minutes, and you'd be like, you know, after ten minutes, you've only got to hang on for. Fifteen minutes. You'd be surprised how little consolation that is when you're running your best five k. The idea of having to run fifteen minutes isn't—that's not great. Like the idea of having to run for another three or four minutes when you're running flat out five k is actually seems insurmountable. So that's true. Yeah. These kind of distances get stretched when you're really trying, and it isn't yeah. like oh I've only got one one kilometer left. Oh, I'll be all right. Yeah, that's, if that's you've ever really done true. anything,
3: if you've ever done anything on a track, four hundred meters yeah. changes yeah. Yeah. every yeah. lap. Like there yeah. that's not the same distance every time you go around a track gosh guys we've just busted some myths There's some myth busting went on there. or made some
2: worse i'm not sure (laughs) amazing amount of myth busting and it's funny isn't it because even as a free we don't we don't really agree on everything and i think that's maybe that's just running isn't it and your own kind of experience and stuff. yeah we're three
1: very different runners
2: that's true yeah true and yeah yeah true
1: 200 miles isn't the new 100 miles but if you (laughs) if you agree with rick let us know because there must be people out there rick there must be people like you i'm not saying you're a lone wolf (laughs)
3: Right, so that's I think this is this is it. So podcast at runnersworld uk what you thought about these myths? What other myths we should visit in perhaps mm. myth busting version two? Part two. Yeah, exactly, because it's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, what do um, you want us to talk about next? Please, please, no more blister chat, but what you know No, no Maybe not that's not what that. the people want. <laughs> Any
3: other myths out there, running myths that you want busting, just send them our way as that's what we do best. Um yeah i think that was good
2: all right well that brings us to the end of this week's runners world podcast thanks very much for listening and thanks to very special guests jane and ben as well for coming on much appreciated. <laughs> oh thank you thanks so much you for are welcome
0: me.
2: <laughs> uh you can
3: subscribe to all sorts of runners world things on the internet uh, be it the magazine or a newsletter or just come to the website runnersworld.com slash uk to get some running information uh, all the social channels at Runners World UK.
1: And you can listen to the Runners World podcast on ACAST, iTunes, all of the best podcast apps out there. Search Runners World UK and do click subscribe. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next
2: week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project,